is We Ruined Everything, our podcast that we're still trying out for a little while. How's your week been? It's been all right. You enjoying the weather? I am. It's been rainy. So I know you've been liking it. I like like a nice, even rain. It's been like enough that roads get flooded at the moment. I mean, it's Lubbock. Yeah. Our roads are the drainage system, so the roads flood if somebody cries too much. We all tried. (laughs) Today's been nice, though. It's been like a light rain on and off all day. Yeah, it's been pretty good. It's going to have a couple of uh, thunder hits and saw lightning a little bit. Yeah. But with it being cooler and cloudy, it's really hard to want to go work. I could see that, yeah. I'd rather be at home. But anyway... You read anything interesting lately? So I guess I read and I watched a couple of things about an awesome musician that I didn't know about. Or I did and I didn't know it was her. So there's a musician called Carol Kay who has been playing for a long time, like back in the 1950s, 1960s. And she was a session musician. She played bass and guitar uh, on around 10,000 tracks in her lifetime. What does that mean, a session musician? Uh, Session means you get hired to play, like, let's say... You're making an album and you want somebody to play guitar. Sometimes you've written the guitar, sometimes you haven't, but you want somebody to come play it because you yourself can't play it as well as you want to. So you hire somebody to come do that for you. Like when they're recording? Yeah, when they're as recording. As opposed to like a gig or something? You can uh, do it for a gig too. Session oh, okay. tends to be for in studio though. So she was one of these people who, unsung hero, like at the time there weren't really a whole lot of women playing, even music for a lot of the uh, the band she played for. And not only to be a female musician, but to be one who plays the instruments that she played, I'm sure, was She played bass, guitar, and guitar. Yeah. Yeah. And she played rock bass and rock guitar and jazz bass and jazz guitar. Uh, she was born March 24th, 1935. Wow. Yeah. And uh, she's a white lady, but she was raised in the projects back in the day. So she grew up around a lot of people of color, stuff like that. I think her mom ended up having $10 in her pocket when a salesman came to the projects one day selling an electric guitar uh, and a few lessons. In the interview that I saw, she said she, she was, it really enriched her life and she really like enjoyed the instrument and gave her something to do. Um, she learned it really fast. Yeah, so it what? seemed like it. Yeah. I don't remember how long she said it took her there. I do like later in the interview, and I know I'm jumping ahead just a little bit, when she said it took her two or three days to learn all styles of music. <laughs> she yeah. said that like it was a really long time. <laughs> well, she comes from jazz, and jazz is, makes you really learn different stuff. It just It's pretty obvious she has a natural She's, talent a, and gift for her to be disappointed in herself that it took her a couple days. Yeah, she played jazz in a lot of the old jazz clubs back in L.A., she was there when the transition between jazz and rock started to happen. And then, like, Little Richie, stuff like that, all those guys. Her first studio gig, which is in 1957, she got picked up by um, Sam Cooke's Summertime. One of her first sessions, and then, and this is the thing that I loved a lot, I found out she played guitar on La Bamba by Richie Valens. <laughs> and Richie Valens means a lot to me. I grew up listening to that music. It was really, it was a nice little surprise. On the real Richie Valens the real, album, not, yeah, not the, uh, for the movie. Now. Okay. Not Los Lobos version of it, but like the original old doo-wop version back in the day. She was a guitarist in those sessions. She first played bass. It was just because somebody didn't show up at a gig she was at. And they handed her a bass and she's like, okay. She kind of just picked it up on the spot, which is, she right. played it well. Not something that normal people, even musicians who are talented, do. Yeah, you have to know your stuff to be able to just jump like that. 
In her own quote, she says, I dug being on the bottom of the band. It was my own little spot. I knew what to do and what to invent. So she loved being at that lower register and playing around in that area. She also played on the Righteous Brothers, You Lost That Love and Feeling. She had a really big impact on surf rock, which is like, you know, Beach Boys, stuff like that. Uh, so much so that Brian Wilson, who was the leader of uh, Beach Boys, mm-hmm. he would raise her bass a little bit more in the mix every time. <laughs> Old classic she played on. They get around California. Um, most of their good stuff. Yeah, and I think one of the things she's most famous for is that she had a nice bass sound because she played with the pick. And the interview, Which is not normally done. Uh, most basses hit with their fingers. Um, Sorry, non-musician here, so I needed to clarify. Yeah, I mean, most the most famous is like sight bass. So it gave her a really specific sound a lot of other people didn't have. She wrote the bass and the beat goes on by Sonny and Cher. That's cool. Yeah. Which I think when she got on it, she said it was just a one-note basic bump, 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 and boring. Yeah, so she got in there. She's like, "Let me try some stuff." And then I think her, the keyboardist, everybody else kept trying things, and she finally got it. She played a lot of different things: twelve-string guitar, which is awesome. That's that's a hardcore guitar. That sounds like too many strings. Uh, it is, but it gives it a nice sound when you need it. And I think she played upwards of three sessions a day while raising three kids. Like we said earlier, one of the few female uh, session musicians at the time. So she didn't sleep. Uh, is the moral of that story. She, um, in the 60s, she slowed down her uh, her working um, to write a book on how to do electric bass. Cool. How to play it. I think it's called How to Play Electric Bass by Carol Kay. If you're interested in bass, go look that book up. And then during that time, she slowed down, but she still played in a lot of like TV show themes. So you hear her bass on like Brady Bunch and Hawaii Five-0. Oh. Mission Impossible. And for some of our friends, Adam's family back in the day. (laughs) In short, she's an awesome musician. And I think more people should know her name. I was just playing the Adam's family song in my head. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I was reading today. What about you? Yeah. So this past week, I've been learning about Greta Thunberg. Um, Yeah, I've seen some stuff about her. Yes, kind of keeping with our theme today, apparently, of cool women. She is a 16-year-old climate change activist from Sweden. Yeah, they're getting younger and younger, and they kind of have to, right? Well, yeah, and so that's what's really cool about Greta, is that she doesn't want to be doing this, (laughs) but she feels that she has to because our generation, her parents' generation, haven't done enough to secure our future on this planet. I don't know if you'll remember, last year she actually started this. So she did a strike from school. Climate strike. Uh Uh-huh. And went become a hashtag now. Right, exactly. And so she sat outside the Swiss, is that Sweden? No, that's Switzerland. Oh, yeah. Swedish parliament? Sure. (laughs) She went and sat outside parliament last year on a climate strike to um, protest the inactivity by the government. So she sat outside the parliament on her strike from school for climate change with a sign that, you know, said she's doing this for climate change. And people took notice. And so then she organized more climate strikes throughout last year. And uh, it reached the states. I mean, there were, of course, we had school strikes for young kids after the Parkland shooting. And she said that's kind of what inspired her because it was meaningful. And so there were more strikes around Europe and here in the states for climate change. 
Fast forward to this year and uh, she's doing it again. And so she sailed here. Uh, I think she left from somewhere in the UK and sailed to New York. Um, and her trip was carbon neutral. So she didn't fly because obviously that contributes to, you know, all the gases that Carbon are warming footprint. up the yeah. world and exactly. And so she has been in different committees here in the States and she's been to some of the UN conventions and she is just amazing. She has been telling, you know, our legislature that we're not doing enough and we're not, but she comes in and, you know, they want to treat her like a child, but she goes in there and they praise her and, you know, kind of pat her on the head, you know, not literally, figuratively. Infantilize her, yeah. Sure. And what you're doing is great and we appreciate everything you're doing. And this is amazing. And for a young person, blah, 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 and all this. And she goes in there and tells them that she doesn't want their praise. She wants them to make real difference because if they don't, then she's not going to have a future. You know, the younger generation is not going to have a future on this planet. And so then they... They go and they ask her, well, what do you want us to do? And she's like, I'm a kid. I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to the scientists when you're trying to decide what to do. She goes, I'm just here because you're not doing that. You're not listening to the scientists. You know, she schooled a Republican congressman, I think, who was trying to suggest that the United States should not make any changes in our laws to reduce our carbon footprint because other countries are producing pollutants and toxins and whatever that are contributing to. That's such a crappy attitude to have. <laughs> right, right. The world's dying anyway, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's pretty fatalistic. It's like a tangent. It's the same thing when people were talking about like free college and people were like, well, I had to pay. You should have to pay too. It's a non-starter. It's, it's a disingenuous argument. Oh, yeah. But his analogy was, you know, he's picking up trash out of the ocean and for every piece of trash he picks up, you know, the ship next to him is dumping out five. So why even try? And so she very quickly responds that by his analogy, she is polluting too. She goes, so I stop what I'm doing. I stop throwing out trash out of my boat, saying that's what the United States should do. And then I tell the ship next to me to also stop polluting, which is also what she wants the U.S. to do, is to, you know, be a leader in changing what we're doing so that we can protect the future of our planet. Of course, they didn't listen to her and they just talked right over her. But today she made a very passionate speech at the U.N. summits on climate change, calling out all of the businesses, all of the world leaders who, you know, are not making the substantial changes that need to be made. And she's just amazing. She's 16. You know, I keep catching myself thinking like, oh, that's great. And that's amazing. But I can't do anything. <laughs> I'm like, wait, she's 16. <laughs> so I'm the adult. There are things that that I can do too. And individually, we're not going to make a change that saves the world. But that's why, you know, we need to reach out to the people who do make the laws yeah. and make changes. It wouldn't take that much. It's just big businesses. This is what we've always done. Why should we do anything? Right. And so if we do need to make some regulations that make my life a little bit more inconvenient to make sure that we get to live in a healthy world to make sure that our friends' kids and grandkids get to live in a healthy world. Then. That's not even taking into consideration that there's stuff that wouldn't inconvenience anybody other than a few CEOs somewhere who don't want to you know, make waves to do things differently. Right. 
what a time for me to be alive right now and see the things that Greta Thunberg is doing, the changes she's trying to make. You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg is an amazing female leader who is trying to, you know, make laws that protect um, and a stat the United States. SCOTUS at the moment, too. Right. And, you know, Malala and her activism for the education of girls and women. I just, we have some really exceptional people right now alive in our world who are doing some incredible things. Yeah. And it's amazing to watch. Mm. And she's just she's really awesome. inspiring. Yeah. And Carol Kay being, you know, a female musician, female bass player in a time where it really wasn't cool with everybody. I mean, that's inspiring too. Mm. And creating, not just playing and playing what other people wrote for her, but going out there and saying, well, I can make this Sonny and Cher song better. <laughs> you know, I can go make these songs that famous people are writing better. And not in an like, egoistic way, you know, like, I have some skills, let me, let me lend them to you. I can contribute. She talked about her accomplishments without sounding egotistical or anything like that. Just like it's she just, was just telling the story. Matter of fact. Yeah. It's just what she did. She just went in there. So I went and saw the Downton Abbey movie with my mom this weekend. I like British TV. I like period pieces or books. I like romance. So like it all into things that I liked. But anyway, so um, it ended a few years ago, a couple years ago. Yeah. So this is like a follow-up that's and, been coming for a while. Yeah. So they made a movie. I don't know why, because the show, it's not like it got canceled in the middle of a season or something. They wrapped it up, but they still made a movie. So that's fine with me. It wasn't like a Firefly Serenity situation where all of a sudden... Yeah. It gets canceled after one season. So you need that Everybody last, was upset, so you need it, yeah. You, you need tie it. up loose ends. Right, right, right. No, this was just, uh, Twitter was pretty loud. They wanted everybody to come back. And so they did. And it was good. I will say it's a little bit harder <laughs> to watch rich British colonialists <laughs> complain about things, even though I still love the characters in the TV show, in the seasons, they did get into some things more deeply about classism and racism and feminism and all the isms. And, you know, they could draw that out a little bit better, which I'm not saying they were perfect at, but they did try to touch on some of those topics a little bit more. But in this two-hour movie, they've got a cast of, like, half a million characters. <laughs> so they had to get everybody in. There really wasn't a lot of time to it's really the, delve uh, deeply into any <laughs> issues. So, yeah. But, like, the sticking it to the man moment in that movie is that the king and queen are coming to visit Downton Abbey. And so times are a-changing, and most of the grand houses have kind of closed up and been sold off and been partitioned out and but Downton Abbey's still standing strong and so they have to put on this huge show and parade and all this stuff and you know glam it up for the king and queen but that means that the king and queen's servants come and take over the abbey and so all the downstairs servants are really upset that they're not the ones who are able to cook for the king and queen and so their big moment is 
sending everybody off, drugging the chef, locking other people in their rooms so that they're the ones who get to present the best of... Anarchy. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anarchy. So the only anarchist <laughs> in the show actually thwarts an assassination of the king. Um, well, that's some heavy rewriting of history right there. <laughs> I it just... Uh, it belongs to the IRA, right? He he did. Yeah. He's what what he rehabilitated. Mm. <laughs> he still doesn't like the monarchy, but he loves his family more. The worst he would have done was throw an egg at the king, but he ends up, you know. Regular old James Bond now for king and country. Right. But that happens in like the first 45 minutes of the movie. That's not even the climax of the mm. movie. Anyway, I enjoyed it, but I kind of had to turn my spot the issues brain off <laughs> so that I can enjoy it more fully. There's nothing wrong with liking things that are problematic. You know, be mindful of them. It doesn't make you a bad person if you enjoy them. I love lots of 80s movies, which do not hold up. And I would watch them again and again. So yeah, enjoy your stuff. Just, you know, nothing wrong with being a little bit critical and keeping a, uh, a mind open for newer things. And so actually kind of following along those lines, I do have a recommendation unless you have something else that you want to talk about. Talk about something that happened to me. The other okay, day. yeah. You know what time it is, right? It's spooky time. Yeah. <laughs> It's time for I'm Not Scared, You're Scared. I was going to make a noise, like my own no, we intro have, theme song. No, we have a fanfare just played. Before I get into it, you know what's weird? Wait, is this still part of? Yeah. I'm not so, okay. That what? Macabre. Tell me, David. The spelling of macabre is weird. Macabre. spelling of a lot of words is weird. I remember when I was a kid, I grew up thinking, you, you said it macabre. When I heard people say macabre, I was like, what, what is that? So that's what I was about to ask you. Did you think those were two different words? Yes. I thought they were two different words. That meant the words. same thing? Yeah, sure. People pointed it out and I was like, ah, okay. I thought macabre was like M-C-C-O-B-B. So yeah. So when you see there's people with the last name macabre, I was like, oh, okay. They're named after that. Um, but macabre, macabre. That's such a weird word. <laughs> it's got a little Christopher Walken. such a weird word. Mm. Um, that was one of the worst. That was German Walken or something. <laughs> I swear I can do a decent walking. I'm not gonna do it right now. But uh, so so the thing happened to me is that, and this is just a stupid little aside. But I was like sitting down. I could have swore somebody bumped into the couch behind me. I was, like so much so that I looked and I thought our dog escaped his uh, kennel because it was late at night, so he was sleeping. And then in the morning, you got up and you came and put something on the back of the uh, couch, and it felt the exact same. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> something bumped the back of the. Uh, so yeah, that was a weird thing that happened. How sleepy were you when it happened? I don't I was tired. I don't think I was sleepy yet. So you're saying it probably wasn't you like nodding off and then jerking awake type of situation? I wonder if it was I think okay. so the entire week I had mm-hmm. been I just finished up a uh, horror soundscape that I'm doing for a local artist. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about how you finished Breath of the Wild again. I'm no. like, we know. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I was in a weird place. Yeah, when you're working on those yourself. those. Um... Oh, I know. I heard you play it when I was trying to sleep one night. Good dreams, yeah? No. <laughs> Gosh. So, yeah. So that was a pretty fun project, too. It, it freaked me out. I'm pretty sure that had something to do with it. Um, speaking of which, yeah, if you're in Lubbock, next uh, first Friday at Luca Calf Center, uh, yeah, go check out Tulpa, which is yeah. going to be awesome. I just did the sound the for it. Full installation. Yeah. So spooky. It's going to be awesome, and I'm I'm excited to see what she does. Uh, I'm pretty sure it'll be really freaky too. 
I've seen some of the previews she's been posting up on Instagram and stuff, which is Reiko doll, if you want to see some of that stuff. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. I am excited and also not excited at the same time because I have heard all the sounds that you made for it. And those alone scream me the heck out. And with some of her, with all of her visual stuff that she's been making, that she's been posting like little, little teasers of, I, uh, I'm fully prepared to be creeped out for a couple days. So I had a spoopy moment this week, not a spooky one. So you will recall, because you were with me, we were at the grocery store and we were just walking, talking about the list of things we needed to get. And all of a sudden I realized there was like a little gnat in between my eyelashes and my glasses and it freaked me the heck out. And I like swatted it away and it thought it went away, but it didn't quite leave. I could see it at the bottom of like my glasses kind of like walking around or something. And I'm like, what the heck? So I try to reach my finger like in between my cheek and my glasses and just end up smudging it. So I pull my glasses away from my face so I can get rid of that little gnat. And it turns out it is not a gnat. It is an itsy bitsy teeny tiny spider. Climbed out the water spout. (laughs) Yes. Was hanging by his little webbing off my glasses and was trying to climb back up. And I, I don't, I don't even know how to explain how a spider got in between my glasses and my eye. It wasn't there to begin at with. At the grocery store. Those ceilings are so tall. Like what, a 30 foot drop? Just perfectly in between my eyebrows and my glasses. It's known to happen. I mean, don't spiders like travel miles in the wind? <laughs> I guess so. It probably was a baby, but like, I don't know. That was the weirdest thing. Good luck sleeping with that little tidbit of information. Spiders <laughs> just kind of glide in the just, air. Full disclosure, I killed it. <laughs> it seemed like an accident, though. Did, you went to, to go grab, grab it. it, and you it was so, so small. Surprised. It was teeny tiny. It was gone in between when I was like, oh. You're like, oh, I killed it. <laughs> he was like a speck of dust, though. <sighs> Poor guy. I know it. Poor little spider. Poor little spider. So... To continue the theme of cool women and kind of what we were talking about earlier, just I listen to podcasts all yeah. the time. And so... That's why we started doing this one a little bit. Yeah, you don't listen to podcasts, though. I listen to them sometimes. I listen to them on YouTube, things like that. Yeah, that's true. So I listen to one called the Bechdel Cast, which I have mentioned before, I believe. And so the Bechdel Cast is based on the Bechdel Test, which is... Just some sort of guideline to sort of bare minimum evaluate whether um, a movie or a piece of media treats women well. It is not the end all be all test, but essentially it says you have two named women that are talking to each other and it can't be about a man. And that is, again, a bare minimum kind of bar to rise above. Hit it. Most things don't. Even if you have a female as your lead, sometimes there's not a second named female character or the only thing they talk about is guys. So yeah, it's hard to pass that test. But the podcast is hosted by two female comedians, Caitlin Durante and Jamie Loftus. And they go back and they review current movies. They review old movies. They have a guest on, but they talk about how women are portrayed 
in that movie they're watching. They also touch on, was it racially diverse? You know, did they address the classism in the movie? Because there's usually a lot of that in there too. So anyway, you know, they talk about movies they love, but are maybe terrible <laughs> in terms of uh, the feminism portrayed or not portrayed as the case may be. But anyway, it's my recommendation since this episode has been kind of a female-oriented yeah. episode. I guess the thing I'd recommend is also in that vein to an extent. I haven't finished it, so I don't know how it ends. And it's very interesting the way it's going. Like, Gears of War is very hoo-ha, you know, war, what it isn't good for. Uh, <laughs> and uh, you start off with the white lead character from the previous game and you're doing all the hoorah stuff leading the army and then at some point you, fi you find out that he, he did some uh, he did a, a call that wasn't kosher with everybody else you know uh, and then the game breaks away and you end up taking on the mantle of the Latinx woman and the black man and it's pretty much a anti-war game it seems like at this point <laughs> it's Even a shooter the, that's anti-war it's a shooter that's saying that maybe you need war but at the same time like, when that goes away, what, what what's the point of it all? Like, how do you break past that? And it seems to be going to a lot of weird uh, undertones. It seems to be hinting at a story of tests and experiments being done on the people of color in the game and how that led to even the previous cataclysm and how it might lead to it again. And I think it's a really interesting way to go about it. And I was pleasantly surprised by a lot of those things. And so I'd recommend Gears of War 5. And that's just a story on the gameplay. It's what you've always known if you played them before. But it's so tight, and it's, you know... It's that kind of weird thing. It's a game that has these things, but it's also about shooting things. Well, yeah. Yeah. But halfway point, maybe third point, you end up becoming just a black man and a Latinx woman. And that's the lead characters. And that's pretty refreshing. There's not enough games that do that. So I'd recommend it. Go play that game. Go listen to their podcast, Big Delcast. And I mean, I've just been going through their archives looking for the movies that I like. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. We all like to hear about things we like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you guys have a good rest of the day, rest of the night. Stay safe. Stay safe. Be good. We'll catch y'all next time. Bye. Bye.